0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man?
1: Not too much, Andrew. You know, the the big story of the week in the NBA was this Russell Westbrook situation in Utah, and I liked your piece on it. Uh, I think you pretty much made it clear that this was a fairly simple story. Like, this is not the hardest. PR situation for the team or the league or anyone to manage, right? I mean, basically it's a slam dunk decision. You do your investigation, but if you need to get rid of the bad Apple fan, you just ban them for life. It's not that complicated,
0: right? Uh yeah, absolutely. And it, it's one of those things, it was actually refreshing to think it through. And it like there was no both sides. Like the benefit of the doubt should go to the players in this situation in large part because you know, the NBA is already asking them to do so much. And these guys are so exposed and overextended in a lot of different respects. And I think the least you can do if you're the league is to make sure that you're going above and beyond to protect the games themselves. And, um, and I think it's, look, the Jazz did everything right. The league did everything right in, in not suspending Russ. And some of what, Russ, what Westbrook was saying was kind of shocking. And I think like 10 years ago definitely would have gotten him suspended. But, um, but I think everybody sort of handled it the right way this week.
1: I think that Westbrook probably should have gotten a little bit more criticism for what he said, to be honest. I mean, yeah. attacking a woman like that and then having, you know, his default message basically be, I'm not apologizing. Uh, they're the ones who prompted it. She got in on it too. I'm, I've am I never been involved in domestic violence and just leaving it at that and even going so far as to say, I'd be willing to do it again if I could have a do-over, which is what he said point blank after the fact. I um, mm-hmm. uh, I thought maybe there should have been a little bit more blowback on what he said, but you're completely right. The NBA is selling this idea of access, you know, this courtside experience, even the virtual reality and all the camera angles that they try to bring. It's to get the players uh, or get to the fans as close as possible to the players. And it's a huge violation of that trust uh, when fans go across the line and are saying inappropriate things. But I kind of want to take this conversation a different direction because I've been doing a bunch of radio interviews this week, and and everyone's asking me, like, how big of a problem is this? Like, how terrible are the Jazz fans? How terrible are Blazers fans? Because I think, you know, Raymond Felton brought up the fact that uh, Westbrook had been heckled pretty good in Portland uh, recently during the game there, too. And I was just kind of curious for your take on this. I mean, I go to a lot of NBA games in person. Granted, a lot of them are in L.A. where the courtside – vibe is a little bit different you know it's celebrities and people who want to be viewed as celebrities and they're not exactly trying to like scream at uh, opposing superstars (laughs) to get attention yeah i don't view this like you know racist inappropriate type heckling as a major problem in the nba i don't think that that's really like uh uh you know people are saying oh could this be like the next malice in the palace situation like i don't think this is a a major problem do you
0: um Not in my experience, no. I mean, and and I think that's one of the things that was interesting thinking about the Westbrook situation is it's like, I can't really imagine many arenas where someone could stand up and yell something, you know, what dehumanizing or or vulgar or whatever at a player without being shamed by fellow fans there. And in general, the environments are, are pretty positive. Um, I mean, obviously fans get on opposing players, but um, this isn't really a problem. And I think that's why I just didn't have that much to say about it this week. Um, I do think the one thing that you said earlier that I really agree with is like, I think Westbrook was let off a little bit easy, but the reason that happened, at least from where I'm sitting is like, the league just asks so much of these guys and they're selling access to these guys at every turn. And, um, all of it, like, I don't know whether you experience this, but I'm sometimes around NBA stars and I look at them and I'm just like, Man, if I were you, I would get really, really tired of this after about five days. And uh, and most of them don't. Oh, so when, man. when like, not Pittsburgh even ju- snaps, you yeah. know.
1: Not even just NBA stars, like take coaches, for example, like Doc Rivers. I mean, the guy is hoarse in part because he does like 15 interviews a day, right? Like he's yelling at his players, so he's horse for that. But he's also like constantly giving interviews, and uh, you know he's just one example. I mean, the superstars definitely get it worse. They're being pulled in more directions, and not even just by the teams or the league, but by by the own people that they surround themselves with in terms of you know branding guys and, and agents and all of that. Uh, I guess the reason why I asked about the whole you know is this an endemic problem? Uh, is because I think it's kind of a perfect storm what happened, right? Like Utah does have a reputation for being one of the most hostile. Uh, crowds now that doesn't mean they're a negative hostile crowd but it, it just they're really engaged right if you're gonna list yeah. the the loudest buildings in the league um you know it's a pretty short list and you know we, we heard well, somebody like Clay Thompson say from golden State this week look we need our, our crowd to be louder like we need them to be more into it and I think the NBA's real problem from a fan perspective or from an experience perspective it's not the fraction of a percent of fans that take it too far and have to be ejected or could potentially create a controversy. I actually think it's the opposite. I think it's the, first of all, the thousands of empty seats um, in a lot of these arenas that are just going unfilled because they're either too expensive or the teams aren't good enough or whatever else. But it's also the passive viewers, right? The people who are sitting there on their cell phones, not really watching the uh game action maybe they're just on the concourse uh, you know having a beer at halftime it, mingling with people socializing with people like i think the actual nba fan experience problem is that most fans or the average fan if you look across all 30 teams are not engaged enough what do you think
0: um that's certainly a, a creative way to spin this story forward. It's like maybe fans aren't rowdy enough. Is that is that what you're saying? No,
1: that's not what I'm saying. Because of course you don't want to have like, uh, you know a situation where players are going to be taking things personally. No, yeah, there should be yeah, yeah, no yeah. Mis- misconceptions at all, right? But the average no. NBA fan experience, I mean, if even if Klay Thompson from the Warriors is any indication, it's, it's not intense enough, right? Like, people have been priced out, and there's no question about that. But I think also it's just kind of a, a cultural change where, like, Uh, you know it's it's cool to be bougie at games now right to like see and be seen (laughs) rather than actually like you know standing up and cheering and you do see some fan bases in various arenas where it's like they're trying to like tell everybody hey this is when we stand up now this is when we cheer you're supposed to do ABC you know if you want to be a part of this you know hope court advantage and it does change a little bit in the playoffs but I think If you told people how popular the NBA was, like if they had aliens visit Earth and you say, look, the NBA is amazing. It's growing like crazy. Like the social media numbers are off the chains. They have more Instagram followers than every other league combined. And then you just drop them in a random NBA arena five seats back from the court. They would be like, wait a minute. Like, where is the popularity? Like, where is this actually factoring in, right? Like, I think there's about like eight or nine arenas that are actually good. And I mean, Charlotte was terrible for the all-star game, (laughs) Like You know, like (laughs) imagine a random game against the Detroit Pistons on a Tuesday, give me a break. And I think it's a real problem for the league. Like Adam Silver was at that Qualtrics conference talking about the idea of engagement, fan engagement, whether it's at home, getting fans to watch longer portions of the game. So they're not tuning out or, or just kind of like flipping in and flipping out, but also trying to engage with fans at the arena, doing everything they possibly can Uh, to get people to be excited and to be invested and to not be on their phone, to not just sort of be passive participants, because ultimately that's how he sees the league being able to really continue to grow and to have more and more, uh, you know, a diehard base. And if you don't have those fans engaged, which I think in a lot of situations, the NBA doesn't, your fan base and your your attendance totals are going to fluctuate based on whether you win or lose. And that's not healthy because not everybody can win.
0: Yeah. um, I hear you. And I, I have to be honest. I was just giving you shit earlier. I didn't really want to talk about this topic to lead the show, but you said, just just give it a chance. You might be surprised what I have to say. And true to form, you did surprise me. You thought and you I knew me, it's...
1: Andrew. You thought you could read my mind. I was just going to come on here and say, go Westbrook. I think yeah. it's a bigger issue than that, though. Like The fan-player no, relations is a bigger deal.
0: It's a very smart point. And I, and I think what you're saying is that the more serious existential concern for the NBA is a lack of fan engagement during these games and with the games themselves than, you know, the risk of another malice at the palace in five years. And I think that's a really smart point to make and is true. And it's something that you and I have talked about a lot. It's like, I think at least 30% of our podcast audience does it actually watch basketball games? (laughs) That's a problem. higher. (laughs) And like, I I don't know whether it's higher or lower, but like there's a sizable chunk of our audience that just doesn't actually engage with the games, but follows the stories and the players and whatever. And, um, you know, when your job as a league is to get people watching games and you make your money from... TV contracts, which are predicated on ratings, like all of this is is a serious issue. Um,
1: yeah, so and- l- let me just say it really clearly. I mean, the fundamentals of respect towards you know human to human is more important than how can we build people for money and ensure that they're tuning into the television, right? Like, yes, obviously, we're going to say respect is way more important than profitability. But if we're saying and I how, think some how, of
0: that is self evident, is what we're saying. And that's why I didn't really want to talk about absolutely. it, is just because a lot of it's obvious. You know what it, I mean? It is and, obvious. And I think it's solutions... refreshing. The NBA, most everybody is on the same page here. And, you know, the Jazz have been decisive, and Dennis Lindsay came out and, and shared his own personal experience uh today i'm recording this on a thursday everybody seems to have the right idea as far as that's concerned
1: absolutely and part of that is because not only is it just the right thing to do but it's also really good for business right like if the jazz didn't come out and take care of this they would be getting hammered and crucified and they don't want that i guess my point is too like it's a much simpler situation for the league to handle to enact you know more psa messages to beef up security around the courtside seats, to uh, you know encourage superstar players to have their own security, which some superstar guys do and some teams have, uh, to be uh, you know zero tolerance in terms of you know profanities and that kind of thing. You know it's easy to fix those things, and it's a mm-hmm. lot more challenging to hook into people and say, look, we need two and a half hours of your life, three to four nights a week every single week for eight months. That's a much tougher challenge. And that is a fundamental issue facing the league in terms of its health, its long-term ability to grow and to scale. Whereas fan relations in terms of, you know, things getting negative is something that with a couple of policy tweaks, you know, it's, it's going to be a non-issue.
0: Yeah. And I agree with that. Um, I mean, the, how to solve that and how serious the problem is as far as fan engagement is probably a longer conversation than we, than we want to have today. Uh, but what I would say is that I do think like it's really easy to play the cynic with the NBA's story of growth and say, all right, so the NBA, which is supposedly exploding, like ratings are down across the league, local markets are struggling to turn a profit, and we're all being sold a bill of goods here. And I think that may be true in a literal sense if you're talking about like traditional growth metrics but i i think the nba will also be able to create a lot of value for tv networks going forward and and uh in a lot of non-traditional ways and and like it has to be a good sign for the league that when you name the 10 most famous athletes in america seven of them are basketball players and i think that bodes well for the future and um, I'm not an expert in any of this, and so I was not a panelist at the Qualtrics conference. <laughs> yes. And I think all the all the concerns you're raising are real, but I yeah. also no, would I think... caution against like overdoing it on the cynicism about the NBA's growth, which you're not doing, but a lot of I've seen a lot of people do
1: for sure. And I think the NBA has been aware of this for a while. Like the stat that Adam Silver has loved to trot out is that like only one percent or less than one percent of their fans actually go two games in person, right? Because yeah. so many people are watching on TV and so many people live outside of America where they just have no access to actually going to a stadium, right? So it's clear like really where the the bread gets buttered. I guess my point is you can't forget about the game experiences, right? Like it's cool if everyone in China and everyone in Italy and everyone in Slovenia are all watching games on TV, but it's not so cool if there's like 5,000 people uh, in attendance and you know, you're trying to know convince a player like Anthony Davis that New Orleans is where he should stay right like that's a you know that the, the feel part the, the touch and feel the personal uh, you know crowd reactions and all that stuff still matters to the overall product to the players to the organizations yeah. and to everybody else and um, I just think that like trying to pretend like the NBA has too crazy of fans that just need to be like brought back into line is actually a, <laughs> a total misrepresentation of what's happening at these arenas.
0: Yeah, and what the the most serious concerns are. No, it's a really smart point. You know what? Credit to you. Uh, you made it work. Can I tie this off with um, one, or actually two parting thoughts, both of which are related to the Wizards?
1: Perfect. A great great atmosphere, by the way. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Speaking of thrilling atmospheres, the Washington Wizards at the Verizon Center, um, or I guess now it's the Capital One Center, still not used to that. So number one, um, I remember earlier this year watching uh, some fan who was sitting courtside and was drunk and harassing a star player. And I can't remember who it was that he was harassing, but I remember thinking like, God, please eject this dude." And they finally did after about a quarter of it going on, and the player was pointing him out in the sidelines um, or on the sidelines. And all I will say there is number one, there really is no place for any any of those type of fans, and I I support the NBA going above and beyond in terms of making the you know sideline procedures as strict as possible to to favor the players, and um, we should always err on the side of the players. But I tell that story because while you were talking. I looked up the Wizards' schedule to try and figure out who they were playing and figure out which star was being harassed. And uh, I got to tell you, I completely forgot that the Wizards started 1-7 and seven this year. Or 2-9, <laughs> really. What a shitshow of a basketball team. God, I need this team out of my life. Um, I just can't believe this season. And now, of course, they're going to finish, like, perfectly mediocre 10th or 11th place, um, right out of the sweet spot in the lottery. It's just, Hey Andrew, again,
1: I've got a great transition for you. I think you should get right into Barack's question. Cause I got some wizard heaters for you. So just go <laughs> ahead and, and just get right into this first question in, in our mailbag from Barack.
0: Okay. So Barack says recently the nuggets have announced that Isaiah Thomas is no longer in their rotation. This comes after IT played only nine games and it seems like gambling on himself with a one-year quote-unquote prove-it deal did not pay off. Since we're at the tail end of the regular season, I thought the time was ripe for some mid-March retrospection. Which players who signed prove-it deals this summer are the biggest winners and losers of this season? My biggest winner, this is Barack, uh is clearly nerlin's noel and my biggest loser is probably it but i contemplated boogie for a second i'd like to hear what you guys think so take it away ben what do you think of the prove it winners and losers this year
1: so my first take was going to be that the real losers of these prove it deals are guys that you forget about completely right so i was going to say come on brock How did you miss Carmelo Anthony? He's got to be the biggest prove-it loser (laughs) of the league, right? He's not in the league. He hasn't been re-signed. He played 10 games and fell completely off the cliff. He's got to be number one. And I was going to use that same logic to say, you know who else is in that exact same situation? Your Washington Wizards center Dwight Howard. Like, we haven't heard of this guy from six months. He's been injured. He was brought in on this prove-it deal. But Andrew, guess what? He doesn't qualify for the prove it it winner loser (laughs) because they gave him a multiple year contract, Andrew. Oh,
0: Ben, this is my life. Welcome to my world. I, it's one of those things that I honestly can't bring myself to think too hard about. I have no idea why Dwight was given a second-year player option. <laughs> but again, this is just the, the way the cards have been dealt. And yes, I'm—I, for better or worse, and well, no, clearly for worse, I'm going to have another 12 months of Dwight Howard in my life.
1: Now, so Andrew, now over the summer, you famously wrote like the 72 steps to talk yourself into the Dwight Howard contract. I think it was, it might be slight exaggeration on the numbers there, but you know, it was like a 12,000 world manifesto about how you were going to gear yourself up for the Dwight Howard experience. And, you know, now that we've seen what the first year looked like, and we haven't actually seen Dwight Howard on the basketball court uh, Uh since November 18th, 2018, I'm just curious what step you're in. I mean, where where are you?
0: <laughs> All right. So, the one thing that bugged me about that article is that, you know, I think there were about 70% of the readers and podcast listeners understood that I was in on the joke. But then I had, you know, 30% of Twitter followers and whoever tweeting at me being like dude like you're seriously talking yourself into dwight howard and <laughs> the answer was no the one thing that was very sincere all along and it's you can way go funnier back
1: to-, to think yeah. if you're uh if you're delusional though it's it's a way funnier <sighs> call to just suspend disbelief if you're the reader speaking well, for myself yes. i did suspend disbelief i just pretended <laughs> that you were actually doing it and it was I a know. great read <laughs>
0: And you always bring it up as if I was seriously believing in in what Dwight Howard was going to be on the Wizards. Um, what I will say is that the one thing I, I meant sincerely at the time when we recorded the podcast in July, when I wrote that Dwight thing in September, all along I was very serious about the potential for a full-blown disaster this year <laughs> and why that would be a healthy thing for the Wizards because it would force washington to move on from the grunfeld era and get some new blood in there and really kind of like face reality about what this team is and where they can go and um what's really terrifying me now is that like there's not much indication that that's the direction things are gonna go and um I haven't watched a Wizards game since they traded Otto Porter. Otto Porter, <laughs> in case you've missed it, you're on strike. Been fantastic for the Bulls. I'm on strike. I'm going to go to a Wizards game next week because I have to cover the other team. But I'm not. I, I'm out. <laughs> and um, <laughs> if they bring if they bring Grunfeld back, I I don't know. It's it it's. I can't even talk rationally about this shit anymore. No, so. it,
1: it's hilarious. It sounds like you're on step 63, I would say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it's really tough. It's really tough.
1: Okay, well, let's um, uh, let's come back to reality here. Um, that was enough, you know, masochism. Uh, yeah. I enjoyed that. In terms of the winners and losers, I think the biggest prove it winner in the whole league is Brooke Lopez, right? That I was going to
0: be my answer as, yeah. as the big winner. Too and there obvious, aren't many sorry. other winner candidates, you know?
1: Yeah, not really. I mean, yeah, he he was the one who jumped out. Um, you know, New Orleans is an interesting one, too. I mean, in terms of the losers, though, a couple others, uh, and I swear this is not to, like, mess with you, but Jabari Parker should be on that list. Um, I mean, he is,
0: he... is he a loser or is he a winner? Because he did sign probably the most ridiculous contract of the entire year. And, I mean, he's getting paid $20 million to basically, like, just be a chucker in D.C. He was at the end of the bench on the Bulls. It's a pretty great deal for
1: him. Yeah, and it did kind of work out for the Bulls because they got Otto Porter, which you know they wouldn't have been able to get. So I don't know. I mean, it was it was a loser when it happened. It's kind of backdoored into a win-win situation for everybody, but uh, that was certainly the, the deal you should not have handed out. Another one's got to be Rondo. I don't think we've spent enough airwaves time talking about how horrible he's been this year, uh, for the Lakers. And, you know, some of it has to do with the Lonzo injury and, and Rondo probably just getting, you know, pushed into more minutes and more important minutes, uh, Uh than they would have hoped for, but he's just rough, man. He is so hard to watch on a game to game basis. I mean, the, the stuff on the sideline where he was sitting away from the bench by 20 feet was just so completely unacceptable, um, and you know, the worst part about it was every time he gets signed, we have to listen to this thing. Oh, he's this greatest mentor, his teammates love him and all this. And it's just like we go through that cycle every single time. The cycle was expanded this year because it was the Lakers and because Magic was the one doing it, and he was gonna play with LeBron. But if we go back and and sort of like compare how people felt about Rondo in like July or August to the actuality of how he's played over especially over the last couple of months as their season has fallen apart. Uh, it's night and day
0: yeah I mean that one is tough because I don't know how many credible people truly believed in Rondo I mean it, there's a nostalgic part of my brain that will always rep for Rondo after what he did in like the 2010 and 2011 playoffs but don't,
1: but... don't you remember the people being like look he was key to the Pelicans playoff push like oh, oh, oh. don't you remember that I guess
0: so, but I again I think that was only like dumb people who said that. Uh, but there's no question that there were certain people out there who believed it and believed that it that he could work in LA, and he was valuable as a locker room presence. From what I understand, he was kind of the leader of that team, which granted, like that's I not see. the greatest endorsement no. considering I mean, the way the season went. Do but, they have
1: the worst locker room in the league? I mean, what leadership? Yeah. I mean, come on. I, I think like. it would
0: have been. I think it would have been worse without Rondo. I think he deserves a little bit of credit there. Um, but the like the fit with LeBron was always insane, and was insane even in July. So it didn't work. I, my lesson from this: there were two things that I take away. First of all, while you were talking, I looked up a tweet uh, that I saw earlier this week, which was from Arkansas Fred, who's more of a football guy, but he tweeted. Middle-aged guys with weird anger issues love when NFL players sign (laughs) one-year prove-it deals. (laughs) Are you calling uh,
1: me out for my Rondo disgust? Am I the the middle-aged guy with weird anger issues? (laughs) Well, I've never
0: heard of a prove-it deal in the NBA, so that's what I thought of when I saw this question. Um, But beyond that, I think the lesson here is that the only guys signing one-year deals are bad players and uh and like huge risks that probably aren't going to pay off and um that was certainly true with isaiah thomas i mean i don't think he was necessarily gambling on himself so much as just taking the only option that was available to him and yeah it was uh, that or china
1: basically right i mean remember he he kind of dragged out before denver even went after him and i think it was they basically just did it because malone was convinced he could kind of you know handle Isaiah's personality but like i mean Isaiah it still to me doesn't seem like everything is fully sunk in for him in terms of where his game is at currently you know i, I think mm-hmm. and that's totally understandable i just think mentality wise he's still where he was 2 years ago feeling like he's one of the greatest scorers in the league and you know feeling like he should be an mvp candidate and a guy who is like the whole offense is built around and i don't blame denver at all for kind of moving on from him or or just you know limiting his role um, and I think they gave him plenty of time to show what he can do. I mean, it is kind of crazy now, though. We're looking at ten game spurts. If you're in one of these situations, if you're mellow or you're Isaiah, you get ten games to prove it. And then if the data says you you aren't a fit, then you're just out. I mean, that's a pretty harsh reality.
0: Yeah, it's it's really tough. And I think almost anyone who's followed the NBA for the past four years is pretty depressed by the way the Isaiah Thomas story has gone. Um, and Part of me. This is gonna sound like damning, and I don't intend it as a diss. It's I'm speaking as someone who loves Isaiah Thomas. I would rather he go over to China and just score 60 points a game and become like an icon in Beijing and live the Marbury life, where he becomes a legend of the CBA and uh, and makes money over there. That to me is like vastly preferable to living out the rest of his NBA career on these minimum deals where he can't really stay on the court for a good team. Like this that just really bums me out. And um and you No, know, think- it shouldn't.
1: I think that's a great idea. Can we get Ball is life to send a videographer over there with him to capture just some of the insane highlights he would have if he was playing for Guangdong? Like, you know, Ball is like they <laughs> love they love to drop their videographers like in the triangle there in North Carolina for all the high school prospects. I know they were following Zion around for a long time in high school as well and like they, they yeah. have a very good idea for sort of where they put their talent, you know, like their talent scouting department is great. You know, let's give ball life to send over somebody with Isaiah sign with Guangdong, get him averaging 65 points a game. Maybe he scores 120 in a single game. We get the full highlight package uploaded, you know, ready to go. We don't have to be on Weibo. We can just be on Twitter and watch it. I mean, why not? I think it <laughs> sounds like a win, 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 win for everybody. And he could get a great sneaker deal over there too.
0: Yeah, uh, it's it's worth investigating, okay? And, you know, Isaiah is one of the cooler NBA guys I've ever talked to, so I'll always have a soft spot for him. And uh, you're right, like, if if Jimmer Fredette, and Jimmer Fredette's a great basketball player in his own right and seems like a cool guy, uh, but the if he can average, like, 60 or 50 over in china isaiah can probably score 120 um,
1: Dude, his handles like can you imagine people would be falling on their faces like just like you know
0: there's no way they'd be able need.
1: to yeah it would be way better and like now right now his alternative is hey you, you can't beat out monty morris for minutes right like it's tough that's yeah. pretty that's pretty clear cut i mean this so, is this is friendly advice from a guy who thought isaiah was a little bit overrated and a guy who was all in to Isaiah in you we're saying look it's the time is now to pull the plug
0: yeah um go be an international sensation two other thoughts here I don't think Nerlens Noel is good um and I used <laughs> to be very high on Nerlens Noel I understand the advanced metrics are encouraging for him and he's helped OKC in yeah he's really minutes
1: he's important for them though like you gotta give him you gotta give him credit for that like he might I not understand. be good but he's good in his role He's he's very good
0: in his role. I don't know how much he could help a team in a in an expanded role if that makes sense. Like so I I wouldn't look at this OKC season and say, "Oh, you know what? If we can get him for 10 or 11 million dollars a year, like he could really be the center we need." I think this is about as much as he's going to be able to handle because his body is still like a lot more slight than people realize. Um, And I think you have to see him in person to appreciate exactly how skinny he really is.
1: And uh, Yeah, those halftime hot dogs, like Carlisle should have been encouraging those. (laughs) Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah, I just don't trust him playing 30, 35 minutes a game for anybody. Um, But he's definitely salvaged his career because things did not look like they were headed in a a good direction um, as recently as like nine months ago. So it's been cool to see him get back on the right track. I just wouldn't overreact to some of the advanced metrics uh, with the Thunder. And then the boogie thing is interesting, because we've watched him struggle. He looked great against the Rockets on Wednesday night, but he also, I I think when, when we spin things forward and imagine the Warriors in the playoffs, Teams are going to go after him over and over and over again. And um, and he just hasn't looked the same for most of this season. And yet, I do still think that somebody is going to give that dude $20 million this summer. And I don't necessarily understand why. But I think regardless of how this quote-unquote prove-it season has gone and regardless of how it ends, he's going to get paid. What do you think?
1: I don't know. I that sounds a little bit uh, high for what I expect. I was going to mention the summer market on these prove it guys too, because you know teams are going to start to have a little bit more cap space because we're getting further and further from 2016, and all the superstars are going to be getting max. I think all the secondary you know stars are going to be getting very close to maxed. I think the only question will be on a couple of them. Okay, do you get four years or do you only get two or three years? Um, mm-hmm. But I think that such an outsized portion of the available cap space is going to be going to those star players. So I think the idea that 40% of the league is going to be free agents this summer, there's going to be a lot of prove it deals kind of going forward into next season. You're going to have a lot of guys who are making smaller salaries on one or two year contracts as teams try to like cycle for that 2020 summer when all the 2016 deals are going to be off the, uh, uh, you know, off the book. So this prove it concept I think is here to stay and it's going to be an even bigger deal next season.
0: Yeah. Another prove it deal that has not gone well. uh, Tyreek Evans in Indiana, that has sort of been a disaster. And as a lot of us predicted in July, it was like, I don't know if I totally trust Tyreek Evans shooting 43% from three or whatever he shot with Memphis uh, the year before. And so He's gone sideways, but I, I mentioned Tyreek because the other guy that I'm thinking of is Boyan Bogdanovich. Not technically a prove a deal since he signed a two-year deal with the Pacers, but um, he's an intriguing free agent this summer and has actually been great for the Pacers all year long. And I, I like to me I'm still kind of baffled by how valuable he's been. I don't know if I would trust him if I were a team. Looking for a solution on the wing, um, but he deserves a lot of credit and he's played well enough this year that he's he's gonna get paid by somebody this summer.
1: Yeah, now you're just naming players because uh, we're not sticking to the criteria. No, I'm joking, it's still pretty tight. He's been awesome. Uh, what about uh, Derek Rose? I mean, I think he should probably get mentioned here like a one year, two million dollar contract. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, Minnesota really hasn't had a lot going for it, but they've still kind of stuck around like just outside the playoff picture. Um, You know, clearly he's been more than worth his money uh, from the Timberwolves perspective, even though Thibodeau is no longer around to kind of take credit for it.
0: You know what I would love to do is when we make it to the end of July, we should go back and listen to some of these March podcasts and was. Like go through some of the hot topics that we were breaking down during March because I think we've hey. mentioned the Qualtrics conference a okay, couple look, times. Stop
1: disrespecting Barack. Okay, this is a great question from. It Barack. was a great question. Arkansas yeah. Fred had some you know great insight about the NFL. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we're doing fine. Totally, totally. All right, so we're just gonna bounce around the league for the rest of this. A uh, pretty random selection of questions today, uh, but Morgan says. Devin Booker said that last season was the last year he would ever miss the playoffs. Is that the saddest statement slash promise we've seen from a player all year? I completely forgot he said that, and I actually don't totally believe he ever really did say that. Can you confirm one way or another? Uh,
1: I think he did say that. I'm pretty sure I remember saying something along those lines. I think it was... Not like he was guaranteeing they were going to be a playoff team, but it was like enough is enough. Like, this is, we're turning the corner now. But frankly, Phoenix has produced at least 10 things this season that are equally sad or more sad than this promise from Devin Booker. I mean, we had Josh Jackson telling everyone that, uh, it shouldn't have gone public that he skipped the, uh, the fan signing, <laughs> when James Jones had to step in and buy all the fans' beer. We had DeAndre Ayton the other night saying that he played the worst game of his life, that he was terrible, that he was horrible because he went one for nine. The loss yeah. was on him. I mean, it really sounded like he was not dealing so well with the uh, the aftermath of that game. I just think that you know Phoenix is one giant statement of depression. I don't think yes. any one. Uh, sentence within that overall giant organizational statement should carry any more weight than the other.
0: Well, and don't forget Devin Booker, I believe back in November said, I'm not joining a super team. I can't wait for the super team to come to me uh, or something along those lines. And that that was one where you kind of read that from afar and, and grimace a little bit about well, hey. where things are headed. For I mean, him, Andrew,
1: but- they got Tyler Johnson. I don't know why. I mean, it's right <laughs> on schedule
0: yeah no to be clear though and to answer morgan's question whatever devin booker said exactly uh the saddest statement slash promise from a player all year was lebron james coming out of the all-star break saying i'm activated or playoff mode is activated and then go going on and losing seven of eight and uh watching the season come crumbling down. That was about as dark as can be as we said a, a week or two ago. Like that's one where it's going to take a while to appreciate just how crazy and depressing that was, but um Yeah, let's, let's do a quick
1: comparison award. for you. That's a great point. Paul George saying he's playoff P and then going out like he did against Utah Ooh. or LeBron <laughs> saying playoff mode activated and then he goes out like he went out. What do you think?
0: Well, I think it, it's it got to be LeBron just because not many people who had watched Paul George's career to that point were expecting him to go and, like, dominate. Uh, we've seen him come up empty a number of times in the playoffs, and maybe that won't happen this year. But LeBron, he said that, and, you know, I I wasn't, like, that high on the Lakers, but I was like, whoa, okay. So if he turns it on, they could do whatever they want. Um And then to watch it just come crumbling down was pretty brutal.
1: Yeah, let me just, uh, you know, in in defense of the Paul George as playoff P1, uh, Uh his teammates were openly laughing at him when he called himself that. Remember, I mean, Westbrook (laughs) and Anthony were like laughing. I don't think any of LeBron's teammates were laughing at him. And he did shoot two for 16 in game six with so five, uh, you know what five points. I just I went mean, to his
0: yeah I went to the game log from the playoffs to pull up exactly what he shot in in that decisive two game for sixteen six. sorry. <laughs> it was pretty bad two for 16 uh six turnovers and a five game a five point loss that's that's about as brutal a closeout performance as you're gonna have.
1: Yeah, there is some recency bias though. I'm looking at the same thing. I mean, he had three 30 point games in the series, so maybe playoff P was a little bit uh, you know, uh, more evident than we remember. But yeah, that's a really depressing choice. I'm sure LeBron loves being in this kind of a conversation with Devin Booker and Paul George and the NBA's greatest winners.
0: Oh, boy. All right. Well, let's move on. Um, But first, Ben, today's show is brought to you by Bombfell. Bombfell is an easier way for men to get better clothes. You just complete a simple questionnaire online at bombfell.com, and you are then matched one-to-one with a dedicated personal stylist. They never charge above retail price. They offer free shipping and returns, convenient home try-on, and the ability to preview and edit any of your stylist picks before your order ships. Ben, tell me a little bit more about BombFell.
1: Drop the BombFell, Andrew. It's fully personalized. Every piece has been handpicked for you by your own stylist. Your stylist will email you his or her selections, after which you'll have 48 hours to make any changes or even just cancel altogether, you're in total control. Then when you receive the clothes, you have seven days to tell Bombfell what you want to keep. You can just send the rest back. Keep more, get more. In each shipment, the more you keep, the more you'll save. If you keep four or more items, you get 20% off. Keep three or more items, get 15% off. Keep two or more items, get 10% off. Andrew, I know your stylist has really hooked you up. You've been looking sharp lately.
0: They did. They really hooked me up. I got a couple nice shirts. I got a jacket. I got some pants. Uh, I love the Bombfell people. I love my stylist. And um, I have to say, I, I, I said this on a, on a podcast a couple weeks ago when we did another one of these reads. It's a little embarrassing to admit, but like beyond the basics, I'm pretty lost when it comes to cool fashion. So a little bit of guidance actually helped on my end and uh, and I appreciate them for it. I, I remain a customer. So you too can check out Bombfell and go to bombfell.com slash floor to get twenty five dollars off your first purchase. That's bombfell slash floor. Check it out, look good, get on Golliver's level, you know, live that life drop
1: the bomb. (laughs) Drop the bomb, fell Andrew, really what you're trying to say is if a lot of our listeners have nailed the ironic t-shirt game, and that was a specialty of yours, you know, I mean, you've got Washington Huskies Rose Bowl champion t-shirts from like the early 90s. I mean, you've got the the vintage t-shirt game on lock. You just just want to expand a little bit, right? You just (laughs) want to round out the rotation. You don't want to be a, uh, you know, a one pitch pitcher.
0: Yes, if we're going to a bar and all I have to do is wear a cool t-shirt and jeans and a pair of cool basketball shoes, like I'm straight. I've got that look mastered. But once it's time to go to some sort of upscale restaurant with businessy type people where you don't wear a suit but you want to look like kind of cool and put together, that's where I need a little bit more help and and Bombfell is there. So
1: um the only only step left for you is to get some shoes with an app but you're gonna get there uh (laughs) what else we got
0: that is that's the final level absolutely um moving back to the mailbag here ben says for all the shit we've poured onto the pistons the past few years Can we unironically just take a moment to appreciate the turnaround they've had the past few weeks? Root Canal Reggie has turned a corner and is playing his best basketball in years. Luke Kennard is lighting it up from deep, and Wayne Ellington has truly been a difference maker for them. Do you think they've separated themselves and put themselves in a tier above the Magic, Net, Heat, and Hornets? All right, so I heard you come grunt on, while I was Andrew, reading that question. Did,
1: is this from a real listener, or did you just like plug this into a Mad Libs thing online to try to come up with a question that would just disgust me as, as much as possible? <laughs> this is what I absolutely hate. This is the generic praise stuff I've been talking about for years. Why are we giving any level of praise to a team that's 34 and 33 you know, barely scraping into the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. Oh, wow. You're so much better than the Miami Heat in the Orlando Magic and the Charlotte Hornets. Give me a break Andrew why do we have to do this
0: all right first of all in defense what's his name I believe it's Ben who emailed in all right I think I deleted a section where he clarified he's not looking for generic praise and I (sighs) (laughs) so I apologize for confusing you there
1: no he's just saying he doesn't want generic praise he wants generic praise he wants us to pretend that Reggie Jackson had three good weeks and all of a sudden he's a great player Oh yeah, amazing. Then these guys are really going to give somebody a run. You think Toronto fans are sweating in the slightest at the possibility of going against Detroit Pistons in the first round? Like they're going to be more worried about Dwayne Casey knowing their playbook inside and out than they're going to be Mm -hmm. worried about any of these players on the actual court. Okay. And and this is the the Raptors fans we're talking about, who you know, they're as jumpy as they get. They were freaking out over the Wizards last year. Uh, you know, another terrible team that we had to pretend was actually good. And I'm sure we got some emails saying, generic praise, John Wall's comeback, you know.
0: <laughs> Can I at least give them a, a, like 90 seconds of generic praise here? Because I do, I now Go feel guilty. It. You've been such a dick that I feel guilty. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. So, all right. At the beginning of February, they were 22 and 29, seven games below 500. Since then, Andre Drummond has been playing out of his mind. Blake Griffin is at an All NBA level. Reggie Jackson has—I don't know if you've seen his numbers—he's been like half decent at least, um, and and is actually pretty capable. And it makes me frustrated because I think the Pistons would be if this if this is the player Reggie Jackson could be all the time. The Pistons would be a lot more fun to watch and think about. Um, unfortunately. I mean Reggie Jackson would yeah. have to play like this for a year and a half before I actually trusted him. That's uh, one of
1: those really big ifs, Andrew, like if cows had wings, they'd be a real different animal.
0: <laughs> yeah, well listen, they went from seven games below 500 to now uh, one game above 500 and that's that's where I really feel bad. They lost two straight this week and I was in Miami watching them last night, and they got drilled by 30 uh, against a pretty feisty heat team, but by no no means a juggernaut. You were
1: supposed to be building these guys up. I mean, that's another thing. Okay, congratulations. Maybe if they can keep it to within 25 (laughs) against Miami, I'll give them some praise.
0: Yes. What I'm really doing, and the reason I included this question is because I just want to apologize to Ben. It would have been a more positive conversation had we had this talk A week ago when they had won seven or eight straight and they because there are you look at the Pistons roster there are like six or seven pretty good players on that team and Luke Kennard has come back from the dead this year it actually looks like he's going to be useful and not just like a player who who is used uh and compared to Donovan Mitchell just to drive Pistons fans insane but he actually looks like he's going to be okay so there, there's reason for some modest optimism in Detroit. Um, and again, Blake has been out of his mind and Drummond looks good. So that's all I could do. I, I gave it my best effort.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is what I'm kind of talking about. Like it doesn't matter to me if we had had the conversation before Miami or after Miami lost, whether we had it two weeks ago or a week ago, five years ago, if you're a mediocre team in the six, seven, eight range in the Eastern conference, and you're scrambling and you have to put together an incredible month of basketball just to get yourself barely above 500 why should we care you're already playing a super soft schedule look who their wins were against right cleveland chicago chicago minnesota like this incredible stretch that they had i mean they're hardly beating anyone they got one overtime win over toronto who knows how many guys the raptors were resting that hey, was basically they beat the
0: it. crap out of the nuggets they had a couple decent wins there I, they definitely hit a soft spot of the schedule your point is well taken the pistons yeah, are not actually they, good.
1: they got the knicks twice in four days congratulations they beat the wizards who we all know <laughs> is disgraced the basketball they beat the hawks oh congratulations i mean they just have a soft schedule because they play in the eastern conference they're an average team and they happen to have the schedule break pretty well for them for two and a half weeks straight They're trying really hard. They didn't give up and quit on the team, which is certainly a big improvement over some past Pistons teams that were getting into mutinies and getting their coaches fired year after year after year. So bravo for that, a base level of competence.
0: Yes, and also, if any of this sounds mean, keep in mind that I'm a Wizards fan and have, honest to God, not been able to bring myself to watch a Wizards game in five weeks. So it could certainly be much worse than average in the East – with an all NBA Blake season, like the Pistons have actually been surprisingly fun this year, at least given like graded against the curve of the last couple seasons in Detroit. So things are looking up, but moving on. You know, my
1: favorite fun stretch of the uh, Pistons season when in December. They actually had real opponents and they lost to Oklahoma City, Milwaukee, (laughs) Philadelphia, New Orleans, Philadelphia, and Charlotte. Six games in a row. That was probably my favorite fun stretch of Detroit season. Come on, well, man. Like I appreciate you're bending over backwards here to try to be nice to the listener, and I'm not trying to scare him off necessarily, but can't we just keep <laughs> it real, please?
0: We can always keep it real, all right? We can, I think we do that better than just about anyone in the basketball media. Uh, <laughs> Elliot says, Are the Sixers the East favorites if they never did the Jimmy Butler trade but did do the Tobias Harris trade? That would leave them with a starting lineup of Ben Simmons, Robert Covington, Dario Saric, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid. Um, I don't know why he's not including J.J. Redick there. I would probably put Redick in at the two, Covington at the three, Tobias at the four, and Embiid at the five, and then you bring Dario off the bench. That does seem like a team I like a little bit more. I'm just not sure how playable Dario is in the playoffs, like against a Raptors or against a Celtics team or a Bucks team? What do you think?
1: I think it's a really smart question. I, I agree with your uh, rotation decisions over what Elliot said, um, but it kind of goes back to what my analysis was of the Tobias trade, where like you've got, if the Tobias trade is going to wind up costing you Jimmy, like yes, you, you, you try to look at either one of those moves in a vacuum, but you also have to look at them together because they're part of the same decision-making process. And if you wind up losing Jimmy for nothing, and it does seem like a lot of people are on board with your sort of day one theory that they trade for Tobias and basically are going to let Jimmy walk. Yeah, that's how it goes down. And you gave up all of those pieces just to get Tobias. And by the way, Landry Shamet is a freaking baller, man. And I, got, I put up a little picture of him on Instagram today because I was at the Clippers facility. I got so many sad, mournful Sixers fans. <laughs> Just like, oh man, like, you know, that was sort of like them getting voted off The Bachelor and sort of, you know, looking back with, uh, you know, with lust at their their former conquest or something. I mean, they really <laughs> missed this guy.
0: We but, really know nothing about how The Bachelor even works, but no, yeah.
1: <laughs> who cares? I mean, whatever. But like, they lost, you know, Shamit, The Picks, uh, Dario uh, Covington. And if they lose Jimmy for nothing and all they've got is Tobias Harris to show for it. And like I said at the time, like Tobias is a fine third wheel, but he's not really that special. Um, that's rough, man. You know, that is not uh, a good management of assets. And I do think that, you know, if the Sixers are out, uh, before the conference finals, people are going to be coming hard for Elton brand. You know, there's going to be a lot of criticism going that direction.
0: Yeah. You know, what really hurts with the, the Shamit trade is knowing that JJ is going to be a bad deal on whatever contract he signs this summer and he's so important to the Sixers. Like if you ask me to to pick a Sixers playoff series, the only the only way they succeed is when JJ plays well. And so I like I guess I have faith. Like they're a total wild card going into the playoffs. Oh, no, it's they, a great they point. Have this throw highest him on ceiling the-
1: yeah. Throw him onto my asset thing, by the way, too, because if they have to re-sign him and pay him a lot to keep him so that they still have some lineup integrity, yeah. they they only have to do that because they lost Shamit, right? Cause he could have been that guy. If they lose him for nothing and somebody else pays him, you've already lost Shamit. So that's another loss. Like, and, and now you're losing Redick on top of it. So that that just makes the asset equation that I'm describing that much worse.
0: Yeah, it's tough. And when you talk about asset management, it's funny. My first reaction to this question was that if they had never done the Butler trade and did the Tobias trade, I could see them potentially giving up even more to get Tobias Harris, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of depressing to think about. But he, look, I do think that their the Jimmy's value in the playoffs is being underplayed a little bit. Like I understand he's been underwhelming. But Philly, if they want to go anywhere that matters, is going to need somebody who can close. And, and Bede can't really be that guy. Simmons definitely can't be that guy. And you know nobody else they have is going to be able to really fill that role. And Jimmy might be able to do it. Um, he's been able to do it at various points this year. And so there's at least... There's upside that wasn't going to be there if they didn't have that guy. What they really need and was really unfortunate. It's like they need a Kemba Walker. They need a Drew Holiday. They need a Mike Conley more than Jimmy Butler. And um, unfortunately, that's not the direction they went. But Jimmy at least will give them a chance.
1: No, it's a great point. I got sidetracked halfway through because I was trying to do the mental image of Ben Simmons closing games. And I was just picturing him like uncorking those like leaning, running turnarounds that he just like flips up at the rim with everyone on the court just being like, in horror, aghast at his shooting motions, <laughs> like there's like six seconds left on the clock, and that's the shot you got, and all the you know announcers panicking, the other team like you know chat, uh, clapping over the top because they were able to force the stop. I mean, yeah, that's that's a pretty hideous uh, mental image, and I like Ben Simmons, but that's uh, that's not great. That's a lot of pressure on uh, on Jimmy. Hey, can you do me a favor and read this um, this mailbag question from Ben because I think it applies to this same conversation as well?
0: Okay, Ben says. The only thing missing in your Bucks playoff conversation, Giannis is averaging 33 minutes per game in the regular season. Him playing 10 more minutes a game is the biggest adjustment available to any team in the East. And that's a really smart point. And I just want to say that I I don't apologize because everything I said about the Bucks was accurate. But I will say my little bucks truthering on monday is mostly a byproduct of boredom uh three quarters of the way through the season i don't really i'm gonna be rooting for the bucks whenever we get to the playoffs
1: yeah and look we've made that point on this podcast previously we just talk about the bucks so much you probably forgot but like about a (laughs) month ago i saw the Bucks play down in dallas and i you know we, we went through this whole conversation of how it's amazing he's only playing 33 minutes the reason why i wanted you to um it, to read this question was not for you to apologize because I thought it was a completely fair conversation. You want to be picking apart and thinking about how you know, juggernauts or potential juggernauts uh, could fall by the wayside. And I think you raised a lot of valid points. No, but, for
0: sure. But, but when the, we got to Wednesday and I was just like, wait, did I really go on the podcast yeah. and spend 15 minutes like hating well, all the
1: books? <laughs> stop having second thoughts. You were right on the money with most of what you said. I know uh, it was. But here's the thing. It's not just Giannis who's playing 33 minutes a night, and I think this is you know something that it kind of opened my eyes too. Kyrie Irving, Boston, 33 minutes a night. Jimmy Butler, Philadelphia, 33 minutes a night. Joel Embiid, Philadelphia, 33 minutes a night. Right, Kawhi uh, Leonard. Guess what? That's going to be a bigger adjustment for the Raptors in the playoffs than Giannis playing 10 more minutes a night. It's going to be Kawhi Leonard showing up, presumably for every single game rather than just sitting out and saying how great it feels to not have to work that hard, right? Like that will be a bigger adjustment night to night, having the Raptors not have to fill those Kawhi-less minutes with whoever else they have and get to trot out, you know, a top 10 or 15 player in every single game. So I don't think that first of all, Milwaukee's gonna look a lot better when Giannis is playing more minutes. But all of these major teams or at least the major threats to them have the ability to ramp their star players' minutes up as well. And, uh, you know, especially when we're picking apart a team like Boston for their inconsistency is the bottom line, if if Kawhi played 39 minutes a night, they're probably looking less inconsistent, right? They're probably, uh, you know, functioning at a a better level if if he's locked in and kind of going for it more during the regular season uh, rather than approaching it uh, in more of a managed fashion. So it's not some like, you know uh incredible kryptonite that uh milwaukee is going to be able to unleash on the rest of the eastern conference like a lot of those teams are in a similar situation
0: yeah uh i agree with that my one counter would be that i think Giannis is the player slash superstar most suited to taking on an extra 10 to 11 minutes of playing time in the playoffs like Kyrie. At this point, I don't know if I trust him to play 40 minutes a game. And the same is true for Kawhi. Um, oh,
1: and Embiid's going to get tired. I agree with you. But I'm just saying, like, it's they're not the only ones who can scale minutes up. And in Kawhi's case, like, you're scaling them up in a lot of games from zero. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, yeah. if, if the argument is, oh, Milwaukee's going to look like a totally different team in the postseason, I don't think that they're in a class by themselves when it comes to that by any stretch. You know, okay. I, I think... Toronto is going to have just as wide of an adjustment, and Boston and Philadelphia, I, I do agree it's going to be more muted, but it's not like they're running their guys in the ground right now.
0: Yeah, my point is that Giannis is at peak superhuman right now, and if you told me he was going to go play 45 minutes a game and average 40 and 20 in the playoffs... I'd be like, you know what? That, that actually makes sense. Like, that wouldn't yeah. surprise me. Um, I would say
1: he better do that. You know, that's what I'm expecting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there, let's <there's> go. <laughs> no doubt about it. He's just not the only one. That's the point. All right.
0: Speaking of Giannis saving the world, one quick question from Steven. He says, with the Democrats opting to host their 2020 convention in Milwaukee, what do you think the chances are that Giannis is called upon to save our country with a rousing speech espousing the values of a multicultural society of immigrants. So, quick answer there. I'm open to Giannis participating in the Democratic National Convention. I think that would be great. But I think more exciting to me is that that convention could potentially be coming on the heels of a Bucks title next year. Because if you take away KD from the Warriors and bring this Bucks team back intact, like, it's entirely possible that they run the table and Giannis is the best player in basketball and the Bucks win the title. And nothing in the world would make me happier than watching the Democratic National Convention next July and having every candidate have to pay respect to the Milwaukee Bucks at some point during their speech. To just sort of like give a nod to like the local fair, you know?
1: So I'm gonna go completely the other way with this, Angino. You know, Steven asks, I think Giannis will be ready for the DNC stage. Point blank, Giannis is ready right now, and I don't think that the, the <laughs> DNC deserves him. I don't think that they deserve him, man. For real. Like can they, you know, prove that they they should have him up there. But they're not yeah. going to screw it up. I mean, I think we got some serious no, concerns on, on that end. And also, like, I don't want to hear these politicians forcing their sports analogies. And like, normally when they go up there, it'd be all Green Bay Packers, right? Like, I'm gonna just let it rip, like Brett Favre, right? <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> like, I don't want them trying to force it with Giannis like you know trying I kind of like, do though
0: I kind of do but your point you, you have the best take the these Democratic-
1: politicians are too dorky they're not cool <laughs> enough for Giannis I'm sorry even Beto who's getting the cover of Vanity Fair that's fine yeah. like okay maybe he's cool enough to share a stage with Giannis but I mean, some of these other ones, like, can you imagine Amy no. Klobuchar, like, uh-huh, like I eat, I eat my salads <laughs> with my hands, <laughs> and she's going to be on stage with Giannis, forget about it, man. I don't want Giannis to have to deal with any of that stuff.
0: I'm with it, okay? Great take. I can't argue with a single word. The Democratic Party is too depressing to be
1: involved with Giannis, um, but- Either way. I mean, we got Hillary Clinton out here dabbing and all this stuff. I oh mean, like, they're dorks, man. We don't want them anywhere near Giannis. We don't want <laughs> them to rub off on Giannis. And first things first, before this DNC conference, can we please just get the Giannis sneaker already? I mean, talk about yeah. the dog days of March. We're waiting. We are waiting so long for the shoe.
0: You know what, man? I'm waiting, but I'm also nervous because I have no idea... <laughs> what direction nike is going to take this i'm obviously going to have to buy several pairs but there's a strong possibility that they try to use your bullshit auto lacing technology on the Giannis shoe as well and i so i don't want to get too excited because it really could be like a major hit to my brand if i have to go purchase one of the auto lacing shoes
1: well, you know, I actually, I saw your cousin in LA this past week. Cause you know, he's, you know, Chris, he's this valued member of the Boston Celtics media. And, yep. uh, he gave me some very nice compliments on the shoes, Andrew. So I'm just saying oh, like the, the door is open <laughs> and I, you know, I, I changed their color just for him to green, you know, Celtics green. I wanted to make him feel special and, and really welcome him to LA. He's a great guy. Yeah. He's doing a great job covering the, <laughs> uh, the Celtics beat. And, you know, I just, I think, you know, ultimately if, if we did a, a polling on whether the shoes were cool or not, I think it would be two to one, me and him versus you.
0: First of all, my cousin, Chris Grenham he is nothing if not smart and motivated to rise in this industry. And he knew oh. that the best way to win you <laughs> over would be he's, to compliment your dorky ass shoes. He's buttering me up is what you're saying? Exactly. And I applaud him for it. I can't blame him. Um, but just know that <laughs> nobody, although actually, Credit to you, you do go above and beyond, and tra- with almost everybody who asks about the shoes, you respond by saying, "What's your favorite color?" And then you pull up the app and change the shoe color to their favorite color. Which,
1: yeah, you know, every once in a while, I let people touch my foot, and then I, you know, I tighten it and loosen so they can feel oh, the mechanic, God. and I kind of let them hear <laughs> the whirring sound. No, it's it's a full on display, Andrew. It's you know, it's a 360 interactive experience.
0: Yeah, congrats for whatever it is that you have become. Um, <laughs> Tony says, Last year, Mark Cuban got fined for comments about tanking. This year, the Mavs are keeping the tanking more low profile. So will a trio of Luca, Zion, and Chris Stapps be a no-brainer num- number one league pass team? Um, obviously, that would be a no-brainer number one league pass team. I do... I'm curious, Ben, at what point do we wonder whether Luka is overrated because a team that's relying this much on him is one of the worst teams in basketball?
1: They're not one of the worst teams in basketball. They'd probably be in the Eastern Conference playoffs. So you can just take that and shove it, first of all. Well,
0: listen, they've been one of the worst teams in basketball since J.J. Barea went down. And they're, the strength of their well, team, when they were a quasi-good team, the strength was the bench and all the credit went to Luka. And I think that we haven't quite corrected that. Conception yet, but well, uh, maybe... I hear you.
1: But when, when they traded DeAndre Jordan for an injured Latvian uh, and they didn't really replace him, you didn't think that yeah. was going to have any impact <laughs> on their team's success? I mean, they, they knew what they're doing. I do think it's kind of a quiet stealth tank, no question about it. Um, I would be, very, first of all, I wanted to see Zion as you know in Dallas as one of my premier destinations, like going all the way back before the Chris Stapps trade. I uh-huh. mean, I think there's some pretty serious ego clash potential between those three if they were together don't you i mean like all three of those guys are basically like you know one name phenomenons in their own right it's like zinger luca zion and like they're all super young they all really haven't figured out who they are on the nba level i mean that would be the ultimate coaching challenge and i think rick carlisle like just you know knowing how he is and how old school he is um I think he would; his mind would explode if he was given that opportunity, and it would be crazy to watch. I mean, the league pass potential would come not just from the highlights and the potential oozing from that team, but also like their very real flare up and you know head butting and all that kind of stuff that would probably happen as well.
0: Uh, There's no question about it, and what's funny is that I don't think any of it would be related to Zion. And all the concerns you've laid out still apply, even if it's just Chris Stapps and Luca. <laughs> and I don't know, man. I think that the I think that the Mavs obviously do that trade ten times out of ten, but their future is a lot less secure um, than I think people realized at the time they made that deal, because the building out the rest of the roster is going to be pretty tricky um and even if they get this pick i like i they're probably tanking but they might also just be bad right now but either way i don't know who you take in this draft like i'm looking at the the names here and it's like rj barrett i wouldn't want that dude cam reddish i would feel hey, good taking him at like 10 i wouldn't want him in, at three where he is now in this mock draft i'm looking at john morant at number two like he can't really shoot i don't know man it's like everyone past Zion this year is just not super exciting.
1: Well, I look forward to your, you talking yourself into a lot of these guys by the time June rolls around. I mean, that seems I like to be Kevin a,
0: Porter. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> that seems to be a pretty common uh, philosophy. But look, it sucks when one guy is incredible, and you know he's like—I don't know if you've seen his synergy charts lately. Like people keep uh, tweeting them out because he's like 99th percentile in like every single category that there is. He's like breaking the computers. Uh, when you have a player like that, everyone else is going to look uh, not so great by comparison. But there's still some talent in this draft. I mean, I, I think there's flaws in all those main guys that you've mentioned, but I don't think it's like historically horrible.
0: Yeah, I, I hear you. The, the one question that's serious beyond my like trolling uh, questions, I do genuinely wonder like how confident are you that Luca? where Luca can be the focal point of a contender level offense
1: very confident um okay. but they their rotation needs uh real work i mean as you pointed out like the pieces really aren't there i think it's going to be a multi-year process obviously no question about it but i think when you're coming away from his season um all things considered even the recent losing streak and all of that you've got to give him an A, right? I mean, yeah. re- remember where you were on him in August, right? Comparing him to uh, minimum wage employees at gas stations, you know, doing those kinds of things. And like <laughs> for him to come out and, and you know, take the league by storm for a long stretch of the season, you know, fight through the rookie wall, continue to put up big scoring numbers, show that he has that step back three weapon, which is so crucial uh, to modern yeah. offenses. And to show that he has the right competitive personality too, man. This guy is really invested night to night. You know what I mean? And I also think off the court, he gets it. Uh, I mean, the number of autographs he's signing for fans, like there's a little bit of a Steph Curry-like vibe to him in terms of how he treats Mavericks fans that I really like to see. I mean, he's he's embracing his role as that franchise guy in a way that maybe some players his age wouldn't or would maybe mm-hmm. you know be uncomfortable or shy from. And those to me are very positive indicators.
0: Yeah, no, he he's been super impressive. I do think that there are more questions, you, just because like when you think about Harden, if you're if you're eighty percent of James Harden, and and the team is running everything through you, like that's not good enough. Um, and, and I think sometimes people struggle to appreciate that. It's like. Harden, what he's doing, like the degree of difficulty is insane. And if he were even 10% less effective or 20% less effective, like you can't be a good team running everything through him. And maybe the solution for the Mavs is going to be more balance on the court so that they don't have to rely on Doncic's offense or scoring as much as they have been.
1: I can promise you Doncic is never going to have a usage rate as high as Harden's was during the stretch that everybody Whoa. associates with Harden, right? Like there's a lot of room to kind of scale, I guess is my point. And if you're saying, look, can he be a number one option on a good offense or can he, or can he be a Harden-like force for an offense? Like there's a lot of gap between those two yeah, things that's too, true. right?
0: Fair, very fair. But I will say his He's not usage Harden. rate now is the highest rookie usage rate since Michael Jordan. Like it's... It's kind of crazy how much Dallas is relying on him, and and part of that is probably because like Doncic is a great passer, but he has no one to pass to, and if he's if he's yeah. hitting guys, they're probably going to be missing jump shots, and so that's part of the problem. And uh,
1: I mean, his team sucks, right? And so it's, <laughs> it's like, like context like matters bad. here. It's not like I mean, there's real players on the Houston Rockets, and yet they still choose to force feed Harden because he's that good, right? Is yeah. Doncic going to be Harden? No, I don't think so. I think okay. Harden will wind up having a significantly better and higher impact career than Doncic will, and I'm and actually that's glad. That's what I'm
0: looking for. That's once we all get there, we can stop having these tense, passive aggressive Luka conversations. Once there's a collective acknowledgement that top five player is not a foregone conclusion for Luka Doncic, then I will be happy.
1: Okay, so just for comparison's sake, because you mentioned uh, Luca's usage, right? So it's 29, which is insanely high. I mean, that's really, that is a number one clear cut option. Very healthy usage rate, right? Harden has had a higher usage rate every single year since 2014 in Houston. Right. And his current usage rate is 40, which is like among the highest <laughs> in NBA history, you know, up there with Westbrook's triple double season. Right. So the gap between 29 and 40 is astronomically wide. Yeah. Um,
0: well we'll see. I, it is going to be fascinating to watch Luca and Chris Stapps interact and partner over the next couple of seasons. Um, it could go a lot of different directions, and and if it works, the Mavs will be one of the coolest teams in the league, and it'll be really fun to watch. Um, they they I might didn't... need
1: new jerseys, don't you think? Like a little rebrand.
0: I'd be into it. I've never really liked the jerseys they have. Their original mid-90s jerseys were, were kind of better to me, but I think maybe it's just because like the nostalgia factor. Um, like, wait,
1: the green ones or which ones? The green ones, yeah. Should they just go all green? That'd be pretty awesome. It'd be. I mean, yeah. I, 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 you don't want to go too far towards Celtics green, but like they have a, a different shade, you know what I mean? They might be able to do it.
0: Yeah. Um, food for thought, Mark Cuban, if you're listening – But uh, speaking of Euros, can we talk a little bit more about the loan thing? I just want to
1: mention... (laughs) Please, (laughs) we got a lot of emails on the loan thing.
0: (laughs) We did, and we're not really going to address anything of substance here. But Tim says, the funny thing is, loans in soccer are usually the exact opposite of what you guys were discussing on that podcast. Top clubs usually just buy top players from lower clubs. And then loans are only used when big clubs are sending their 10th best guy to get more run as the second or third best guy on smaller clubs. And, um, yes, that's this speaks to our blind spot with regard to how soccer actually works beyond FIFA 2018. Well,
1: so, <laughs> does it, though, because NBA teams can't buy the top players, right? Like that well, yes. just, That's not how it works. So it's more of but, a structural difference rather than a – um, uh, you know, like we didn't miss the point. Like the, the no. way the way the loans would be most useful is the way we were describing, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I think the way the the, lo- the way the loans are used in Europe though are the complete opposite of what I was describing, where like the magic give Jonathan Isaac to the Spurs for three months. It would really be the Spurs loaning um Derek White to the Magic for three months. But I still think they should they, the NBA should look into it. Mid-level and below loans should be legal and there should be one week of loanable or the one the loan window should be open for one week in the winter and one week in the summer. It's very doable.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a good thing that the top clubs can't just buy the best players. I think we should say that. That's an advantage the NBA has cuz that would yeah. get pretty old pretty quick.
0: And then Andre said Now that you guys are willing to at least discuss what the soccer structure has to offer, maybe you can add relegation and promotion. And Ben, we got five or six emails like this, sort of like trying to blow our minds and be like, have you guys thought about relegation? And it's like. Guys, like I've been on the internet for the last ten years, the relegation topic comes up like once every two months in NBA circles and on NBA Twitter. Of course, we've thought about relegation. I think it would be phenomenal. It's just never, ever, ever going to happen.
1: Yeah. Bottom line, I can see a lot of Western Conference G League teams making the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. I mean, you want to talk about Santa Cruz Warriors, Rio Grande Valley You're Vipers. Such a dickhead. <laughs> Uh, uh, you thought I was serious there for a second. But um, I, I mean, if you're going to do it, we have to dump teams out of the East. You know, I think that the Western Conference teams could get relegated to the East. The East would have to be relegated to the G League.
0: You know what? I'm going to write about conference imbalance next week to address in detail how bullshit your argument has become. But I do think you're right. Before
1: you write, just do any level of research, okay? Just look into (laughs) any amount. I can send you some numbers, actually, if you want.
0: You're so, no, you're beyond parody at this point. Um, But I I respect how fervently you believe in your cause um, and the whole receding conversation. It's just awful.
1: So do you think Jaleel Cousins could make the Eastern Conference All Star team? Like would he get voted in as a starter or or do you think he'd be a he'd be a sub off the bench?
0: Is he on the Santa Cruz Warriors or something?
1: Yeah, he is. You know, okay. Demarcus is brother, you know? Oh wow, there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Listen,
0: what I will say though, in all seriousness, it would be really cool if twenty-five years from now the G League is successful enough. So that you could start to think about relegating teams to the G League w- without like banishing them or cutting the value of the franchise in half or whatever, and and there was some fluid movement between the G League and the NBA, and you could relegate two teams and promote two teams every year. It would take like literally like thirty years of growth in the minor leagues for to make that viable. Um, and yeah, the owners if would only be agree to it.
1: If only because we'd have a team called the Agua Caliente Clippers, which is basically like named after an Indian gaming reservation, would now be in the NBA. That'd be great.
0: I'd be into it. Um, All right, a couple more questions at the very end here. Uh, We had some responses to your Marriott. um,
1: (laughs) Did you sign (laughs) up?
0: (laughs) Hold on. First, Matthew says, my dad just flexed on me by casually dropping that he used to have over a million Marriott points but he spent it all on family vacations. So currently he has a measly 900,000 points. He also audibly laughed at the conference table in Ben's room, stating that that had happened to him multiple times. So shout out to that dad. Can I respond to him? Yeah, yeah, let
1: me let me respond to him first of all, Matthew. It sounds like your dad's awesome getting the conference table, and obviously he thinks I'm funny, so I appreciate that. Let me just tell you, if he's only dropping a hundred thousand uh, points on your family vacation, he doesn't love you. Like, I mean, you can get all, <laughs> you can go on a lot better vacation than that, especially if he's got nine hundred thousand in the bank. You need to go back to your dad and be like, Dad, look, there's other parents out here who are paying for their children hundreds of thousands of dollars not Marriott points, just to get into college. We have to do a little bit better than 100,000 points. Wow, for
0: wow. So Matthew's dad thought he was flexing and unwittingly got himself into a very sobering conversation with his son about whether he A hundred percent.
1: No, a hundred percent. Like, have you ever been in that situation? Like when I traveled with my parents when I was a kid, my dad would get the first class upgrade, you know, and like the rest of the family wouldn't. And it would be like this huge point of contention between my parents, you know, because he would always accept it and go live the lavish lifestyle, but the rest of us <laughs> wouldn't get it. That's Wait, basically really? what's happening.
0: Oh yeah. No, let me tell you, as far as I can tell, because I, I I've seen that happen to my parents, but my mom always gets that upgrade. It, it, like, oh yeah. And I mean, I don't think. Shout out so, to your dad for for finally so, to use it. Are you
1: are you saying that your dad would hand it off to your mom to let her oh, get the yeah, upgrade? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yes. And it would so, it would be an issue among them if she didn't get it.
1: Well, that's what I'm saying is it is an issue between them because he doesn't do that. that that's yeah. the thing. And yeah. so he's he's learned as he's aged and accumulated more miles and so forth that he doesn't get to go solo like that anymore. But he had to learn that one the hard way. What I'm saying is, <laughs> yeah. nobody's dad-
0: <laughs> ruined the first day of vacation because of your upgrade.
1: Matthew's dad hasn't learned the lesson. I'm saying he's he's hoarding his best points probably for his business trip so he can ball out in some suite that he's not telling the family about. And then meanwhile, they're sitting in courtyards going on vacation for a road trip over the summer. It's like, come on, Matthew, like make him step up a little bit. That's all I'm saying.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks to open floor, Matthew's dad is about to learn the hard way. And then uh, one more (laughs) points follow up. Zach says, Ben, dude, don't hold on to your points. Spend them immediately. Those Marriott points are devaluing at an insane rate year over year. Rooms that were 8,000 points per night in 2016 are now going for 40,000 per night. Why would you want to hoard 1 million points? Can you explain this to me? And if you couldn't tell, there were a lot of exclamation points in that email. Do you have a response, Ben?
1: I, I do. Look, it's going to get really complicated, but I can assure you, Marriott points hold their value better than like German marks, like right before in between the wars. <laughs> like, like, like the Marriott economy is Jesus not. Christ. <laughs> is, no, you know what I mean, though. Like, you remember those stories, like. In like 1920s Germany, where people were like burning briefcases full of money just because like the money was completely worthless, and a loaf of bread cost like three hundred thousand dollars or something like that. Like that's not what's happening here. There's been some changes to the program. I don't need to go into full details, but one <laughs> but of the rest thing is,
0: assured he could. <laughs> and I, I'm yeah. really grateful that you're not. Th-
1: the main point is, if you're gonna cash in your Marriott points, make sure you're doing so well in advance. And if you're gonna go to a resort that's like in a very desirable location, like say Florida or California or something like that, if you're going to go during peak travel season, they basically charge you a surcharge to do that, right? And so uh-huh. it, it makes it seem like they're worth a little bit less than they actually are. But um, he's right in general. It's just not quite as drastic as he made it seem.
0: Okay, well, there you go. I My response to his email on your behalf is that you have a job and you can't go and spend personal Marriott points all willy nilly throughout the year. So that's probably half the reason you're accruing all these other points. The best reason,
1: the best reason to hoard them is so that when you really go on a vacation, you can feel like a true baller, right? Because guys like us, (laughs) we're, we're working stiffs, Andrew, right? But like, if you want to go to say like London for a week and stay at like this incredible hotel where when you check in, Everybody's looking at you like, why are you wearing Jordan sweats? Like, you don't really belong here. Like, you have the ability to go do that. I'm not saying that that's ever happened to me, but it's happened to me no, before, right? No, no, no.
0: Look, a wild getaway in Europe with conference tables in every hotel room. I mean, right. that's as baller as it gets.
1: That's what I'm trying to sell to you. I don't know why <laughs> you're so resistant to this. Like, get in the club.
0: I hear you. I hear you. I will say this I am staying at a hotel that is not a Marriott and has really been a disappointment. There are various lights Mm. that just stop working out of nowhere. boy. That would never happen. The toilet has been running for some reason, like half the time I've been here. Um, It's just been a disappointing experience.
1: Well, look, that's because you use like motels tonight or something like that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, no. I was very late. uh, I was very late booking my hotel, and then – It turns out that Miami is a very popular place to be in early March. I think there was a lot of spring break action down here. And um, so most of the better hotels were like $500 a night, which Sports Illustrated is not really looking to spring for. Um, So I had to settle and I really just should have – gone with your advice and and signed up for the marriott program i would not be having this the problems that i'm having this week if i had taken your advice and live your sure. life
1: and once you get status and they're going to guarantee you rooms you know so you never have to worry <laughs> about it being sold out it's going to be great you're going to be on a whole different lifestyle and the amazing thing is You know, if you were being honest, you would come back two years from now and say, Ben, you changed my life with this advice. I'm so glad I finally took it. You probably will never do that. That's fine. I'm I'm totally at ease with that. I just want to make your life better. I don't need the credit.
0: Yeah, well, um, (laughs) we talk about the podcast, keeping it real. This is never, the podcast has never been realer than it has been over the last two minutes. This is the shit that we actually talk about, um, (laughs) Just to finish off here, one more question. Emily says, "Hey guys, longtime listener, first-time emailer. I have a very good friend Misha who's a big fan of Open Floor and has emailed you in the past. He was incredibly stoked to have you read one of his questions on the pod last year. The reason I'm emailing is because we have a sports thread with a bunch of our friends, and recently Misha went on a tear about how the GOAT debate is over and LeBron will never beat Jordan for the greatest of all time." Here are some choice Misha quotes. Goats don't get swept in the finals, bro. I mean, honestly, that should end the debate on greatest of all time. You know Michael would never get swept in the finals or lose in the finals um, or lose like six finals, he said. Do you have any thoughts on these takes, and can you please tell Misha that he's wrong? Ben, do you have any thoughts?
1: Well, first of all, thanks to Misha. He has emailed a lot over the years. great emailer always. Uh, he might have gotten you know, outflanked here by Emily. you know, great rundown of uh, embarrassing lines from their group text. It's something I can personally relate to because you're always taking my text messages and, and airing them publicly. Yeah. Uh, I gotta say though, I agree one hundred percent with Misha. I mean, I think the real the real question here for LeBron to close this this goat gap with Jordan was like, Could he continue to extend his championship window longer and longer and longer than we expected? And instead, we're seeing that it does, you know, his career arc seems to be bending in a very normal way where he's, you know, the miles are catching up to him. His overall impact and uh, dominance of the game, his, you know, the view of him as the best player in the sport is slipping in a noticeable way. And, that's not going to help him when we're, you know, looking in this conversation about, okay, who are the, you know, the most dominant, uh, you know, the greatest players during their respective eras. I mean, I think Jordan's got a really strong argument that he owned the nineties in a way that LeBron hasn't really completely owned his sport. And mm-hmm. the gap between six and O and three and six is quite mighty.
0: Yeah. And, um, the reason I include this is first of all, if you ever want to email openfloormail at gmail.com so that we can roast your friends, we would love to help out. I, I'm a little- or family members. Falling, yeah, especially family members.
1: Especially if they <laughs> rap about the Phoenix Suns.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, we're, we're willing to ruin your relationship with your father, whatever. We're just out here having fun. However, Misha- he's like a warrior zealot. He has emailed the podcast several times being like, Sharp, you're so wrong about KD, blah, 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 blah. And um, so it pains me to have to agree with him here. The one thing I disagree, the goats don't don't get swept in the finals, bro. To me, I don't think that LeBron got swept in the finals last year. He did get swept against the Spurs, but that year he made it at like – Just making it to the finals was shocking enough. Um, But last year, I count Game 1 as a win and always will, no matter what the final score was. And LeBron in Game 1 was on another planet.
1: Question. I mean, it's a great point you're making, but isn't there an obvious counter that, like, wearing the cast after Game Four nullified the Game One victory?
0: <laughs> Maybe it should. That's a good point.
1: <laughs> w- would goats wear the cast after a uh, Game Four? I mean, come on. I-, I don't see it.
0: That's that's a very fair point and a better argument than than citing the sweep itself. Because really, I'll never forget sitting there. I was in the back of the press conference room. I don't know where you were, but LeBron like pause at the podium so that everyone could take photos of the cast (laughs) which i think now we could say the fake cast like i don't know man that was just a really rough look uh,
1: it was great prop work you know there's no question about it i I think they they hand out oscars for that kind of stuff you know they might have cut them from the show this year because they were trying to get the oscars to be a shorter you know time frame but uh you know having those kind of props on hand was just fantastic um, I don't think goats don't get swept in the finals, bro, is as compelling as goats don't need game sevens in the finals, bro. You know, because Mike, <laughs> Mike never needed a game seven.
0: Yes, and that's the thing that we need to be careful about, you know, overlooking is that the reason the debate isn't very close right now isn't because LeBron isn't incredible and out of this world. The problem is that Jordan's career was just staggering and people forget how fucking incredible he was for like 15 years and so that's that's where kind of the, the, the gap um, is wide it's not a it's not a shot at LeBron it's all about Jordan and here's another text message from Misha that I forgot to read but it says he's undeniably great but he's had a quite a few bad moments and I think it's fine if we can all just admit He's never going to pass Jordan. That boat has sailed. I don't know if it's sailed entirely, but I, I don't disagree with that take from Misha. And it doesn't make up for all the bad Warriors takes that he has emailed open floor over the past two and a half or three years. But um, but he, he is right on
1: this one. Well, we know his grandmaster plan here. He's just trying to sabotage LeBron's value historically so that He can prop up Steph as, you know, the true goat or the number two greatest of all time once he retires. (laughs) And you know what? I'll be with him there too. Yeah. We see these Warriors fans working from a mile away when it comes to the anti-LeBron slander. And I think that if they're being truthful, they respect LeBron's performance in these finals the last few years more than anybody, right? Like you're calling a game one victory like... There is no sane Warriors fan who can watch that game one performance by LeBron and not be like, man, that was basically the best game I've ever seen any athlete play in any sport. I was so,
0: so upset when he lost that game because it was it was going to be like Iverson's game one win over the 0-1 Lakers like that. The game. That was more memorable than the entire finals. And it was just so cool to watch him go out there and just leave it all on the line.
1: Dude, and in, in hindsight, the fact that he didn't just walk off the bench before overtime is incredible self control. Like, we should give him more credit for that. Like, yeah. put yourself in that situation. You've been working your entire life, this uphill battle. No one thinks you're going to beat the Warriors. Everyone's going to laugh at your expense when you lose. You play the greatest game of your life, one of the greatest finals performances ever it goes for nothing because J.R. Smith has a brain fart and Mm -hmm. uh, you feel backstabbed and betrayed in that moment. You have to get yourself back up to play another five minutes of basketball. The fact that he didn't just leave the arena and just walk straight out and grab an Uber is incredible.
0: Yeah, well, and here's the thing. I don't think we talk enough about how bad the officiating was down the stretch of that game, particularly the blocking call. J.R. Smith has become kind of like the face of that game one injustice as far as LeBron's concerned, but it was really like the, the refs reversing that call was just awful. And um,
1: so it goes, it is what it is. see. This is what I mean about the LeBron vacuum though, Andrew, like we're sitting here just thinking, wow, last year's finals really cool with LeBron. I <laughs> promise you, I don't see anybody in the Eastern conference turning in a performance like that in the finals.
0: Well, you know what I would like in all seriousness, apart from LeBron and speaking of bad warriors takes I would like every Warriors fan who emailed openfloormail at gmail.com over the last two years lecturing me about Kevin Durant, I would like you to write an apology to me this week, uh, acknowledging that I have been right all along and the team is more fun when it's just Steph. Wednesday was just more proof, Wednesday against the Rockets. But um, that's my dream is I, I want 75 Warriors fan apologies by the time we record (laughs) next week. And I believe in the audience. So um, if you're out there, hit me up uh, and and Emily,
1: I could, I defend Katie to the death, but he was awful excited to high five uh, Steph and, and clay. It felt like a tell after that game, how excited he was to like cheer them on. It was like, I don't want to be like (laughs) pigeonholed as the guy who's like, you know, getting in the way of the fun. Like, I'm I'm in on it, guys. I'm part of this, (laughs) 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 even though I didn't play. (laughs) it has been andrew we got great emails this week they carried the whole show there's no question about it from start to finish whether the guy with the marriott dad or barack's email misha and emily going at it in their group chat keep those coming open floor mail at gmail.com open floor mail at gmail.com i also have to admit andrew instagram got me good this week they just went down for an entire day when i was trying to put the lantern out so we have to roll that one over to next week we will come back with the lantern Follow me on Instagram at ben.golliver. Don't forget, we're also on Apple Podcasts. So search for Open Floor. That's two words. Find our page. Give us that five star rating. Then throw us a review and a subscription as well. It really helps us spread the word, and we appreciate it. We check the numbers, guys. So we know if you're doing it, please do it. Andrew, finally, we are on the world famous radio.com slash Open Floor. Check us out on there. Until next week, Andrew, I will talk to you.
0: All right, man. How long were we talking?
1: Fuck.